Greetings to all of God's people. This is again Mordecai Joseph. We're in line, you know, now in lesson 74. Last time we were discussing the scripture in uh, Mark 13 and verse 20, 26. Actually, when uh, we read the story about, the, about Jesus Christ returning, and so in verse 26 it says, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And so, the Son of Man, that is the Son of Man, he was at the time Son of Man, and the future is no longer going to be the Son of Man, as I mentioned uh, in the last tape, as Paul made it very plain, that in the days when he was on this earth, we have known him according to the flesh, but now we know him no more according to the flesh. In other words, now he is back to his glory and divinity and godhood, and he is eternity. He is eternal again, full of glory, as he was before that. But he is describing himself as the son of man because that's uh, the way they have known him at the time. That's what he is speaking to them based on that time. And then verse 27, And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect, that is the chosen ones, from the four winds, from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. In other words, all those who died in the faith and they are buried, and uh, on the earth, and yet the Spirit went back to heaven uh, to be with the Father, awaiting the resurrection, and then for those who are alive at the time. God is going to gather all of them, but at the same time also, right after that, He's going to, in like manner, uh, send messengers, the ones who are going to be remaining from the armies that He destroys in Jerusalem, and they too, messengers also means angels. So, uh, you can see in one sense there is a double meaning here, even though... Uh, it's specifically speaking about the resurrection. And so he's going to gather also all the remnant of the children of Israel who are left from captivity all around the earth. And he's going to bring them, as we read earlier in Ezekiel chapter 20, uh, verse 38 and uh, further, uh, or before that, around that, uh, well, those scriptures basically all speak about the same subject. And basically he's describing the end time and how he's going to gather his people Israel and is going to bring them through the wilderness of the people, that is the territory of Saudi Arabia, northern Saudi Arabia. Anyway, whenever you cross uh, the Euphrates and you proceed uh, toward the land of Israel, you have to go through a part of wilderness, because you're coming from back east. And he's calling it the wilderness of the peoples, because there are many peoples that live there. And uh, he's going to plead with them like in, uh, he did in, in Sinai. In other words, before he allows them into the land, just like before he brought them uh, from Egypt into the land of Canaan, he brought them through the wilderness to test them and to prove them whether they would obey his voice or not, and he's going to do exactly now. In other words, deliverance from captivity, from, from uh, concentration camps, from the tribulation, is not a ticket to the land of Israel, to the kingdom. That's what the kingdom is all about. It's going to be there, and he's the king, and his people are going to be his nation, and few of them minority of them, the first fruits are going to be spirit beings, but the majority of his wife is going to be made of the very nation that he had to begin with, that he married in Sinai, that is the descendants of them, the remnant of them, and then ultimately speaking, all those, even those who were in Sinai and down the road and before that, in the second resurrection. And so he's going to bring all of them and he's going to deal with them there and those who have that hateful attitude, that contemptuous attitude toward the, the Torah of God, the statutes of God, the teachings of God, and you can call it whatever it may be. Uh, and Christ is in the old, so-called Old Testament and New Testament. 
That means a savior. That's all it means. Christ did not begin his uh, his career 2,000 years ago. He was there for eternity. And so if you call him Christ in the Old Testament or the New Testament, as people call it, it's still the same person. That's why the apostles referred to him also as Christ. As Paul said, that the people that the children of Israel followed in the wilderness was Christ. In other words, he didn't begin his history only uh, shortly before that. And so this Christ, as he did the first time with the children of Israel, he's going to do again with the children of Israel as he brings them out of captivity the second time. And mind you, the whole generation of the adults that came out of Egypt didn't make it to the land. And there are a lot of people who are not going to make it into the land even though they're going to make it out of bondage. Out of the tribulation. That's a horrible thing to contemplate. To think that you have escaped all that horrible things, that you have survived it, and to come to the land and to be told, No, you're not going to make it in. You're not worthy of being in this kingdom. In other words, God is going to allow them to die and come back in the second resurrection. Uh, yeah, second resurrection. And we're going to continue now in uh, Luke. Basically, all that you're going to read here is, is more or less what we read in Matthew 24. The same story, repeated, you know, minor details here and there. But uh, let's continue now with the book of Luke, where the story goes on, of the identity of the church of God, of who and the what, and the kingdom of God. In chapter chapter 1 of the book of Luke, we read in verse 5, uh, there was, in the days of Herod, in the, in the king of Judea, Herod was an Edomite, whose father and uh, all his people previously in the former generation, and the previous generation, that is, were forcibly converted by the Maccabean, by the Hasmonean kings, uh, the kings that ruled over the land, you know, after they rebelled against the Greeks and overthrew them. And now that they went conquering their territory back, uh, trying to be like, you know, in the days of King David, having greater land, uh, they forced the Edomites to either convert or die. That was the option. It was simple. So, obviously, the majority of the Edomites they converted, and those who didn't like it just went away some, someplace else. And uh, they remained in, uh, you know, at least, you know, some of them joined their brethren in the Nabataean Empire, which were also Edomites, and went, uh, or went other places. Anyway, Herod was a descendant of that group that became Jewish long before he was born. And he ruled over Judah because he became, uh, his father became a Roman citizen. Anyway, that's a different story. But the story is there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah. So Zechariah. Zechariah, like the prophet Zechariah, Zechariah means God will remember. And when God calls certain people for certain commission, you know, there is a special meaning to, to their name. It's not just a haphazard way. All planned in detail. And so his name was Zechariah, that means God will remember. And he was of the division of Aviyah. Uh, Aviyah again means uh, father, uh, God the Father. Av is Father, and Yah is God. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth, or Elisheva. Right? Elizabeth comes later on. Obviously, they didn't speak English in those days. Some people forget that. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the eternal, blameless. As it said about Paul. Some people don't realize that. That before the Holy Spirit was given, in this case, this was a priest, 
And we have no indication that he had the Holy Spirit. And Paul obviously didn't have the Holy Spirit when he was sold. And so are many other Jews. They were very meticulous in keeping the commandments of God, the laws of God. And unfortunately, there were also many other things that they followed that were not necessarily of God, but still God concentrated on the fact that they still, in spite of the other things, the do's and don'ts that were added, as far as his law, this is the recommendation he gave them. That they were blameless. And certainly Paul, the Pharisee of the Pharisee, were following in the ways of the Pharisees. And all the do's and don'ts. And yet, as he said himself, as far as the righteousness which is in the law, he was blameless. And some people don't, don't take credit, you know, the Pharisees with that. They had a contentious attitude toward them, and they've had it for the past 2,000 years. And many of, of us, unfortunately, have the same attitude today. Are not capable of, def- of making a difference between right and wrong. And so in verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the eternal. You see? And this eternal came to his temple. That's what you read in Malachi. And so we know that Jesus Christ was eternal, and we don't need to argue, was he or was he not? Was he God the Son or was he the Son of God? Was he created or was he not? The scriptures are very plain, and only the blind have arguments with it. And because they are unlearned, they think they are, but they are unlearned, as Peter would call them, they wrestle with the scriptures to their own destruction. And when you have people like that, just it's best to keep away from them. And I'll talk about the weather or ice cream, whatever it may be. Be on the safe side. It'll be more profitable anyway. Verse 9, And according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the eternal. The temple to whom the eternal came in person. And the whole multitude of the people was pay, uh, praying outside at the hour of incense. This is, we're talking not about the wife of God. The church of God. To whom the God of Israel, the Eternal, the one who came in the person now of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer, who was their Deliverer and Savior all along anyway, he came to them. And that was his wife. And this is what the story is, and that's the way we should read it. And people don't read it that way. They think, well, we're talking now with a totally different book, different people, different church, different law. And it's not. And it's not a different God either. And so the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Eternal appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Yohanan, the grace of God, or John is later on translated. Uh, Yohanan certainly never knew that his name was John. Uh, so, you know, we take it for granted because uh, that's the way uh, later on the language uh, changed, you know. And the people of Israel began to speak other languages and now they think, well, his name was John. Well, he didn't know that his name was John. He knew that his name was Yohanan. In verse 14, And you shall, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Many of the children of Israel, many of the members of the wives of the church of God. For he will be great in the sight of the Eternal, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's 
womb. And that's speaking by the power of God. That's not speaking by the Holy Spirit in terms of the person of God. Because God is holy and is spirit and is a holy spirit. And Jesus Christ is holy spirit. And sometimes in the scriptures people don't realize that when the Apostle Paul refers to the Holy Spirit, he's referring to God. Because that's another name of God. That's like you say, heaven spoke. That's another name of God. And many names of God and Holy Spirit is one of them. And people who are unlearned never understood it and came up with their own doctrines. And to this very day they're arguing about it. And so they invented the Trinity because of their ignorance. Anyway, and so he was full of the Holy Spirit from his birth. And what is his commission of this Yohanan, the grace of God? See, God is sending his grace. What is the commission of this Yohanan to the church of God, to the people of Israel? He says that he will turn many of the children of Israel to the eternal, their God. You see, the eternal, their God. He's not speaking only about the Father up in heaven, but also to the one that came and spoke to them in person, and many followed him. And that's in specific what he's talking about. That's why he says, I'm, I'm going to send my messenger, speaking about John, and also the eternal, the Lord, the Adon, that is, uh, will come to his temple. And so he prepared the way before the coming of Christ, as he's going to do the, as somebody in his spirit, the spirit of Elijah will do at the end time, who will come before the coming of the great day of the eternal. You see, again, the eternal is coming back. People shouldn't have a difficult time understanding that Jesus Christ is not only Son of God, he became Son of God. He wasn't before that. But he is Jehovah and Elohim also, the second divine being in that family, and many others to follow. Scriptures are all around the place, you know, from Moses to uh, Revelation, and people who are blind can get it. And so he says, he will go also before him. Before whom? Before the eternal God, who is coming in the spirit of the and power of Elijah. See, he wasn't Elijah, even though Christ said, you know, he was Elijah. What he meant is he, was, he came in the spirit of Elijah. So the scripture is very plain what was meant. And he's coming to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. While well, Malachi read, the heart of the fathers to the children, the heart of the children to the fathers. And he's speaking specific about the children of Israel returning to, to the covenant of their fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and to their fathers who stood before Mount Sinai and were married in a ceremony to their creator, who is now coming in person to atone for the sins of his children because they rebelled against him from Sinai and to take them back to himself as a wife now, this time under the new covenant, a better promise, you know, better promises of uh, the Holy Spirit in the world to come, becoming spirit beings and so forth. It's a whole story. It's a one story. It's a one book. It's a one church, one doctrine. How many times can we say that? I don't think we can say that enough times because some people have been to totally brainwashed that it takes an awful lot of deprogramming and then reprogramming the proper way. And that's the reason why we're going very thoroughly through this subject. Otherwise, it would make no sense for people to go and study the book of the law the five books of Moses, and then continue from that point on. And then as you come to the New Testament, then you understand what the controversies are all about and what Paul was talking about and what others were talking about which people did not understand. That's the reason why many of us are in confusion. We're in Babylon. God says, you come out of this confusion. And so, 
It says he's coming in the spirit of the power, in verse 17, of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the, ch uh, to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And remember the parable that God gave later on in the, in the, in the person of Jesus Christ, when he came in the flesh. He gave the parable about uh, Lazarus and the rich man, and Lazarus you know, ended up in the bosom of the father, and Lazarus was reconciled, so to speak, to the father. He was in his bosom, but the rich man was not. And so the father Abraham was not willing to accept him because his heart was not turned toward Abraham. Therefore, the father, Abraham was not willing to accept him. That's what he's talking about here again. That the fathers are not going to accept us if we are not willing to walk in their footsteps, obeying the Torah of God, being faithful to God. You see? Having both obedience and faith. Just like they did. And that's ultimately what he's talking about here. And the heart of the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And they were all just people. And God is the ultimate just person. And to make ready a people, a church. That's what he's talking about. To make ready a church, a people. Body of witnesses. Prepared for the eternal. Who is coming in the flesh. Now the scripture is very plain. Really, there is no reason for anybody to, to doubt that. And so Zechariah had, uh, unfortunately, a little doubt here at this point. He says, verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? How shall I know this? You know, why not believe the angel? If an angel comes to you and speaks to you, why do you even say, How shall I know this? Well, though he was blameless, as far as the righteousness of the law, his faith was not full yet. And as a human being, uh, you know, all of us make mistakes, even Elijah did. And so he says, How shall I know this? For I am an old man. And my wife is well advanced in years. Well, if you remember Father Abraham, he would not have asked that question because he too uh, finally learned the lesson. At least Abraham, to begin with, didn't know, and so he could ask the question. But now Zechariah had an example that with God all things are possible. And because of that, well, God made him dumb for quite a while until the baby was born. That is Zechariah, the father. And so the story continues. And you notice here that the commission of John was to the children of Israel, to the wife, to the church. It was not to the nations, it was not to the Gentiles, because that was not the purpose of the commission that God gave to his son and God gave to his servant John, whom he sent before his son to prepare the way. He says, you go to my people, to my nation, to Israel, and prepare them. When the wife is ready and prepared, then we can go to all the rest of the nations of the earth. And so there was a type and the prototype. What happened at the time was the few that were called out of the church, out of Israel, out of the wife, and once that foundation was laid, then they could, they could go some of them to the nations. But the majority of the, uh, the emphasis generally was still to Israel, and then few others among the nations, and so it will be in the future. And so we continue now in uh, verse 26. The story continues now with Mary. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God, speaking about the Father, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house, and her name was not Mary, his name was Miriam. She certainly didn't know such a name, Mary. There was, you know, that name did not even exist at the time. That came later on. Her name was Miriam, like the prophetess. And uh, her husband-to-be was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. 
And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Eternal is with you. Blessed are you among women. At the time, mind you, Christ is not born yet, is not conceived yet, and he is still the Eternal. And so, the message is in essence from both, from the Father, and also from the one who is going to be her son. So he says, the Eternal is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting was this. In other words, she pondered. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, with Elohim. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Yehoshua. You know, the full name is not Yeshua, but Yehoshua. In Hebrew, we have the full form of a name and a shortened form of a name. And uh, when you pronounce the hey, that's a full form, like uh, Irmiya, that's a short form, or Irmiyahu, that's uh, the longer form. And Yeshua will be the short form, and Yehoshua, the longer form. And so Yehoshua means God the Savior. It's not Yahshua, as many are saying in their unlearned uh, Hebrew. There's no such a thing as Yahshua or Yahweh. You never say Yah in the beginning. You always say Yah at the end. The second syllable, it never comes as a first syllable. Yah by itself, you can say it. But if it is linked to another syllable right after it, the Yah becomes Ye. A lot of people are call, call themselves the house of Yahweh and don't even know how to pronounce it properly. Well, that's a different issue here. Anyway, he said, you shall call him Yehoshua, God the Savior. And in other words, he is God, Yah. See, that's God. God is not created. And he's also Savior. And that, in essence, settles the matter. His name tells you that he was not created. You see, he's been always for eternity. He's God. It's one of the names of God. He's eternal in many other places. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, just like Abraham referred to Melchizedek as priest of the Most High. Because the Most High is the Father, and his priest is his son. And his son was priest at that time, and his son was always a priest of the highest, and his son is going to be the priest of the highest in the future also. The high priest. Same person, same story, but ignoramuses among us don't know it, unlearned, think they know better, and they don't understand, comprehend a very simple reality that is made very plain in the scriptures. And the eternal God will give him the throne of his father David. Even though he is the God of David, he's going to be the son of David for the purpose of bringing many sons to glory. And that's the reason for it, why he became the son of God. And he will reign over whom? He didn't say he will reign over the entirety of the earth, which he's going to. But you see, the message is first to the wife, to the church. And therefore, the wording, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom which is going to be over the house of Jacob in Jerusalem is going to be forever and there will be no end there will be no end either to him or to his wife the bride in other words here comes the bridegroom and he's coming to the bride and he's not going to get somebody else he's going to renew his bride like he renewed her many many times before that 
Only it was not purging of the conscience, just, you know, they went into idolatry and uh, when they were in trouble, they cried to God, they repented of their sins, God brought them back, they went again into idolatry, got in trouble, they cried to God, God brought them back. You see, again and again and again and again. And so this time is the final one, so to speak. This time when he brings them back, he's going to make them children of the new covenant. And he was not about to go somewhere else, no more than he was about to go somewhere else when they committed idolatry in Sinai right after the marriage ceremony. His people are always his people, and he made a covenant and a promise, and that's the plan of God from the beginning until the end. And that's why when you read down the road at the end of the story about heaven and Jerusalem, you know what God planned all the way from the beginning. When he put the names of the twelve tribes of Israel on the gates of heaven in Jerusalem. And that's what Abraham was looking forward to. When his family will be in that city, ruling the entirety, not only of the earth, but the universe. And his family is what became Jacob or Israel, or the nation of Israel. And people thought, well, these are the Jews. And it's not the Jews. It's the Jews also. And all the other tribes of Israel. And so, this is what is going to reign over the entirety of his people, of his nation, of his wife, of his church. And that's the way we are to understand it. And it's a very plain story, not that difficult. So, let's continue now uh, with uh, verse 54, where we read uh, about the prayer of Mary. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, you can read it there. But she's talking about the salvation that God has brought to his people, his nation, his wife. She wasn't thinking about somebody else. She certainly was not intending of moving to Rome or any other place and becoming, you know, the, the worship Madonna of uh, the nations and all their ignorance and blindness. Uh, she's talking about her people and only her people. And so she said in verse 54, He has helped his servant Israel. Why? In remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And this is the Holy Spirit speaking through Mary. And how plain can it be? Who and what is the church? His people. Israel. You see? Abraham and his seed. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that became Israel, and all the twelve tribes. And the nation of Israel, from that time, to the second resurrection. That's the kingdom of God. And then, he's going to reign over the whole earth, and all of them will become his children, too. And then ultimately, when the Father comes, he's going to be the father of the whole family in heaven and earth, and it shall be all and in all. And yet, this is the process. And some people, when they come to this knowledge and understanding of Israel, especially when they didn't know that they were Israelites, and find out uh, that they are Israelites, they become so rejoiceful uh, in that and uh, happy and all that. And the process, some of them get, you know, big head and become arrogant and proud and go and uh, uh, develop a superior attitude toward others, and they should not. Because God didn't give us many compliments. He said that other nations were even better than we are, the children of Israel. We sin much more grievously than any other nation on the face of the earth. We should never be, you know, uh, haughty and arrogant about it. It's not for our sake that he brought us deliverance. It's for his sake. 
so there shouldn't be any superiority complex here or inferiority complex on the part of anyone. And therefore, when you speak from the point of view of God, you don't need to apologize for the fact that God chose his people Israel, nor should you be feeling superior or better than others. We are not. We should never have that attitude, I'm holier than thou. We are not. God even made that statement very plain through the prophet Amos. He said, you're not better than the children of Ethiopia, you know, the people of Africa. He said, you're not better than they are. And we should remember that. And some people think they are. And they want to, you know, want to go and uh, subjugate others and, and kill others and, you know, murder others and say, you are not a white Christian. Well, these are children of darkness and we should not have that attitude or spirit in us. Just give God the grace, the knowledge, uh, uh, have the knowledge, you know, that by the grace of God we are what, what we are, not by our own grace or our own doing. And so this is what we read here. And in verse, uh, let's see, we can continue another story in uh, verse 67. It's a long, long chapter. And that's speaking about John, the birth of John and his father. Now his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. In other words, uh, once uh, he named the name of his son, Yohanan, his mouth was opened. God opened his mouth, now he could talk. And so this is what he said. And uh, we're going to read now the, the prayer of uh, of Zechariah. He's a prophet also now. Blessed is the eternal God of Israel. You see, that's a nation, that's a wife, that's a church. For he has visited and redeemed his people. You see, that's the Holy Spirit speaking. God also already at that time calls his people the redeemed. And he's not talking only about few of them, all of them. Because that's speaking only about a few seconds in the time uh, concept of God. You know, and God who calls things uh, which are not as though they are, that's the way he speaks. And so he redeemed his people. That's even before Christ gave his life. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. And so speaking by the house of David, which is the house of Judah, that is from Judah, one of the tribes of Israel, the lawgiver, the one from whom one rises to rule all of, all of Israel. Well, that's the way God decided that it should be. And some people don't like that. And uh, unfortunately, there was an awful lot of strife between Judah and Ephraim because of that, because of the division of the birthright. But the scepter went to David. The scepter went to Judah, that is, and then David, son of Judah, and from that came the Messiah. And uh, ironically, the way you find it, that David is going to rule over all of the house of Israel, over the wise, so to speak, in the future, under Jesus Christ, his God and his creator, and also his son, who also came out of David and therefore out of the house of Judah, as Paul said. It is evident that our Lord sprang out of the house of David, that is, out of Judah, and uh, also all the apostles were all Jews. And people talk about Jewish conspiracy. Now, there's a Jewish conspiracy there of the divine sort. And nobody can uh, again say that or say anything against it. You might as well get used to that idea. So if some people have a difficulty with that uh, now, they're going to have much difficulty in the future if they don't deal with this problem today. Anyway, he said that uh, he, uh, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy 
prophets. They were the, a part of the foundation of the church, the church of God, the church of Israel. And those who believe in two churches, they think, well, the prophets of old were not the, the prophets of the, you know, they were not part of the foundation of the church, of the New Testament church. Because they don't understand what the church is all about. And they don't realize that they're still drinking of the waters of Babylon. That's the reason why they, they, they believe that way and think that way, and they have to reorient their whole theology. And so he says he spoke by the holy prophets, who have been since the world began. So he's going back way beyond, you know, uh, before the children of Israel, from righteous Abel. And verse 30, uh, 71, that we should be saved from our enemies both the people and seen and from Satan and from the hand of all those who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and God is not going to renege on that promise and so that shows you scripture after scripture after scripture how much lies were injected into this false religion that calls itself Christianity and the many of us that came out of it you know some of us still believe in those lies and yet God made it very, very plain. He's not about to so-called drop Israel and pick up the church. Because Israel is a church. It's being renewed. And to remember his holy covenant. The one that he made with Israel, with a wife in Sinai. He's not going to forget it. He's going to renew it. And that's why he said he's going to make the new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. He could have said with the church. He didn't, because Israel is the church. He could have said with the nations. He didn't, because he married only Israel. As he said, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. You are the only one that I know. And he's speaking about an intimate knowledge. It's a marriage knowledge. Marital knowing. And then, we're going to bear children. And the children are going to be the nations, because Israel is the firstborn. And also the wife. And that's why Paul said, Heavenly Jerusalem is the mother of us all. Speaking about the symbol of the nation of Israel, the wife. And that's why Heavenly Jerusalem is also called the bride. That's the wife of God. Because it's all symbolism. And so he says, in the, to perform the, to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the land of our, from the hand of our enemies, so speaking about us versus them. We Israel, the church versus the nations. The Gentiles. And Gentile nation is the same word. There's nothing derogatory about it. Some people think it is. Even the Jews, in their ignorance, when they talk about Goy, they think it's, it's a derogatory term, and it's not. Abraham was called the great Goy. And God would call Israel to be a great boy. In other words, a great nation. That's all it means. But, you know what happens in the heart of people when they, they become unlearned themselves. They, they inject contempt and uh, wrong feelings and attitudes and uh, we should get rid of those things if we have them. Verse 75. Uh, actually, uh, let's uh, read verse 74. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. You see? That's what Christ came. To deliver his wife from bondage of Satan, of darkness, of rebellion, of ignorance, by atoning for her sins, 
so that his wife might serve him without fear and serve the father. In holiness, verse 75, and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, speaking about John, his son, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, that is, the prophet of God himself, Elohim. Uh, for you will go before the face of the eternal, see, in one hand, speaking about Elohim, now it's speaking about the eternal, to prepare his ways. And I speaking about the coming Messiah, who is eternal. And before that, speaking about the highest, who is the Father. Scriptures are very plain, and that's what I to see have no problem seeing it. But the blind, well, if they choose to fall into the ditch, that's their choice. Verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. That's the church. That's the wife of God. That's the people of God. That's the body of witnesses. Verse 78. Through the tender mercy of our God, speaking by the Father, with which the day spring from on high was visit, or has visited us. And you see that Zechariah, like all the others in the past, knew very well that there is the Father. Of course, he wasn't called the Father at the time, but he's called the Highest. When they talked about the Highest, it was always the one above, above all, you see, Elohim, the one, you know, later on become known as God, you know, when the language changed. But when they spoke about the highest priest of the Most High, they always talked about the, the one uh, who is at the top, the head, you know, the highest deity. And then when they, you know, they spoke about uh, the one that became Jesus Christ, they called him the Eternal. Both were the Eternal, but he was not called the highest. You see? That's what Christ said. My father is greater than I. He is the highest. In that sense, we're not equal. He is higher than I am. That's like we'll never be equal with Christ. He'll always have the preeminence. And if both of them are Elohim, and both of them are deities, and both of them are eternal, it's just one of them is higher than the other. Zechariah knew it. In other words, to the days of Christ, many of the Jews, the wise, who had eyes to see, knew that there are two beings. One is the highest, one is the one under him, but both are Yehovah. Both are eternal. Both are Elohim. And one is dealing with them on a personal basis. He's the husband. And so that's what he's saying here. And uh, verse 78 again. Through the tender mercy of our God, speaking by the Father, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. As you can read in other places also. And to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's the religion of God. It's not Christianity, and it's not Judaism. It's the way of peace. And that's the only way that the apostles refer to it. In the way. They always mention the, you know, the way, the way, the way, all the way. And yet people, somewhere along the way, got off the way. And were somewhere else. And now we take it for granted. And everybody... And you hear it all the time in our midst. Christianity, 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 Christianity. Everywhere you hear Christianity. We are of Christianity. Or true Christianity. Or authentic Christianity and so forth. Where do you get this terminology? From God? Or from the Revelation churches? Of chapter 17. Let's ask ourselves deep questions. Then come out of Babylon. Not stay there. And he makes it very plain. 
that was the purpose of the coming in this, in this case of his son, John. And the scriptures are very plain. And then he, we, you know, we continue the story about John, verse 18, 80. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the desert being prepared. People are talking about the desert, the wilderness. Has a lot of uh, good knowledge there and understanding, and I don't care who wrote it and who is using it. Now, that's one stupid thing that we have nowadays, all right reserves. How can you have all right reserves for truth that comes from God? And people are boasting and are proud about it. There is no such a thing as all right reserves as far as the, you know, as the word of God is concerned. And if people are appropriating the word of God and calling it their own, I don't care if anybody uses my words and never gives me the credit. Why should he give me the credit? If it's truth, I didn't come up with it. God did. I was never interested in that, giving, being given credit. Let God get the credit. What are we? Just a microphone. Mouthpiece. Anyway, it's a different story. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel, to the wife, to the church, preparing the bride like Moses did, like Elijah did, bringing his wife back to him. And that's what the story is all about from the beginning until the end. And there is no such a thing as Old Testament, New Testament. It's one story, one book. Continuation of the story. It's a 7,000 year story. People divide all those things, not God. Now, nothing wrong about having divisions within the entirety of it in the sense of, you know, we said the Torah, it's fine, the Psalms, writings, and so forth. Anyway, let's go on to chapter 2 now and verse 8. We read now there were in the same country shepherds, speaking about the birth of Jesus Christ, of the Messiah, the God of Israel. Uh, there were shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Eternal stood before them, this is speaking about now by the angel of the Father of God, and the glory of the Eternal shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. All the people of Israel, and later on, all the rest of the nations of the earth. For there is born to you, that is to you, the people of Israel, this day in the city of David a Savior, a Moshiach. You see, Moshiach is Savior, and his name was Yehoshua, who is Christ the Eternal, the Lord. Uh, well, it says Christ the Lord, mean, meaning the, the, the anointed and the master, the Adon. You see, Adon is the name of God, not the name of men. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God, praising Elohim, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, because he is God the highest, and on earth, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Again, speaking about his own people, and later on that peace will spread throughout the face of the whole earth. And then we continue uh, after the, the child was born uh, with Mary in verse 22. Now when the days of her purification according to the, to the law of Moses, to the Torah of Moses, you know, an obedient uh, woman to the faith, to the Torah of Moses, to the Torah of God, 
so when those days uh, were finished according to the law of Moses and they were completed they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the eternal to the father and verse 23 as it is written in the in the laws of the eternal you see the law of Moses is the law of the eternal that is the Torah of Moses is the Torah of the eternal and so people should not have any contempt or resentment toward the Torah of the eternal that's later on called the doctrine of Christ it's the same thing and every male it says there who opens the womb shall be called holy to the eternal and verse 24 and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the eternal you see so the Holy Spirit making it very plain God is making it very plain Jesus Christ making it very plain that this law is his it's not a Jewish law that people should have contempt for and so according to the law of the eternal she brought a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons and behold there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon and this man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of again Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him the Spirit of God and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit by the power of God the Spirit of God that he would not see death before he had seen the Eternal's Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And so he came, verse 27, by the Spirit into the temple. In other words, he was inspired by God, by his Spirit. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, that is the law of Moses, the law of the Eternal, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Blessed Elohim. The highest. He too knew that there are two of them. That darkness came later on. Where the people lost totally knowledge and understanding. At least the majority of them. Of the identity of the two beings. Were both divine. One is the highest. And one is the one under him. But both are eternal. Both Yehovah. Well, since we're reaching the end of the tape. I'm going to have to stop at this point. This is again Mordecai Joseph. Saying greetings to all God's people. And I'll pick up the thread of this story next time. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.